0: Um, so we are continuing our series, Tell Me the Story of Jesus. And uh, the beatitude we're looking at this morning is in Matthew 5, verse 8. One commentator writes concerning this beatitude is that this beatitude demands that every man who reads it should stop and think and examine himself. And as I've been spending time on this one verse, uh, letting it just go through my mind and in my heart and uh, just reciting it and thinking over it, Uh, Praying on it. I think that commentator was spot on. Um, Our our beatitude this morning, Matthew 5, verse 8, is Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Um, I don't know how much you keep up on the news. I don't know what your news source is. Uh, Anybody hear what happened with Subway this last year? Oh, good. So I did to to shock somebody. If you're a Subway fan, I'm sorry for what I'm ready to say. um, So earlier in this year, there was a legal. Uh, battle with Subway with two other individuals um, based out of New York. Uh, what they did is they went around to multiple Subway restaurants and they ordered tuna sandwiches or tuna wraps and they froze the tuna and they sent it off to independent labs to have it studied to see what it actually was. And their studies found that there is no tuna DNA in Subway's tuna sandwich or tuna wrap. Matter of fact, there is no fish. DNA found anywhere in that particular sandwich, and so they brought up this lawsuit against Subway. Now, Subway denies the claim of the lawsuit, saying that these individuals are just trying to bash their brand and their goodwill. Uh, But then there's a reporter who caught wind of this, and so the reporter side, they're going to do their own study, send it off to a different lab, so they did the same thing. They went to multiple different Subway restaurants, ordered tuna sandwiches or tuna wraps, got the tuna out, put it in a bag, froze it, sent it off to a different lab to have the study run on it. And the lab came back with results saying they again found no tuna DNA within the tuna that is put in a tuna sandwich or a tuna wrap at Subway. Um, The lab concluded this, that either the tuna mixture, whatever it is, Um, has been so heavily processed that you cannot pull any species DNA from it or it's not tuna. Um, But this isn't the first time that Subway's gotten in trouble for these sort of things. Back in 2017, uh, they had another lawsuit brought against them, and this time it wasn't with tuna, it was with chicken. And uh, what came out of that lawsuit is they did tests on the chicken at Subway and found that the chicken is only 53.6% chicken DNA. So it's basically baloney, right? I mean, that's kind of what baloney is, chicken, pork, beef, all that stuff. Now, in light of Subway, because I have eaten at Subway before, this study with the chicken was also done on other popular franchises that sell chicken sandwich or chicken nuggets or chicken tenders, and they also found that those particular franchises, their chicken is not 100% chicken at all either. what they did find is that if you go to Chick-fil-A and you order chicken, their chicken is 100% chicken. So if you want chicken, go to Chick-fil-A. Of course, you can't do it today, right, because Sunday. Sunday. But just don't eat chicken anywhere today that you're not sure of. Um, so I bring up these lawsuits in these studies because I believe they're going to help us prepare for blessed are the pure in heart. Because if we hear about these labs and these studies and these lawsuits and they make us cringe when we think about, okay, what actually is it? What is the tuna or what is the chicken? Then we need to reverse the question and point it at our own hearts and our own lives. Are we 100% what we claim to be? Are we 100% of what we claim to be? And if not, and I know we all stumble, we all fall, I, I, I do as well. But what is keeping us from being what God has called us to be as his people? This is why that commentator wrote, Here is the beatitude which demands that every man who reads it should stop, think, and examine himself. The phrase pure heart means to have an unmixed, uncompromised, and unadulterated life. It speaks of living with integrity of having pure motives and undivided loyalty. Jesus is telling us through this one beatitude that if we want to have a blessed life, if we want to live the life that God promises and it being abundantly full of joy, then it's going to take effort. And it's not an effort that we prove ourselves to God. It's not an effort that we prove ourselves to other people, but it's going to take effort to accomplish it and receive it. So when Jesus says the word pure here in Matthew, The meaning would have been clear to his original audience. You have to keep in mind, he's he's speaking most likely to a primary Jewish audience. And so when they hear the word pure, their minds immediately would have gone to the word we use as clean. And it would have created a problem in the Jewish way of life because in order to be clean, it required ceremonial cleansings and ritualistic sacrifices. And so when Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, I imagine his audience went immediately to think of the priests. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes because they were the epitome of clean, cleanliness and purity. The problem is later in Jesus' ministry, he points out that their appearance of purity was actually whitewashed tombs. I think that sounds like a cool name for a band, but Jesus wasn't given a compliment. He was saying that they appear to be something, they're whitewashed, they appear to be clean, they appear to be pure, but in fact they are tombs, they are dead and they are empty inside. So to be pure in heart isn't speaking of how we appear to someone else, rather it's pointing to what is in our heart and therefore what is coming out of our life. In Jesus' society, people were more concerned with putting on a show, and I think we can say the same for people in our own society, and putting on a front and a show for other people so they can think something about us that may not actually be accurate. But Jesus here is dealing with the heart, and He wants the people to understand the heart is what causes the issues and the problems in your life. He would teach later on in Matthew chapter 15 that all of the issues we have, all the things that make us impure, all the things that make us unclean, actually come from the heart. And so when Scripture says, blessed are the pure in heart, the word heart in Scripture is speaking of the seat of thought, the the center of will and personality of an individual, our innermost being. It includes our emotions and our intellect, our will and our motivations. It's the core of who we are. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the core of who you are. It's the place that we, we feel and we think and, and determine our actions and what we're going to do or how we're going to react. That all comes from the heart. And Jesus' audience probably was taken to Psalm 24 when he said pure in heart, where Psalm 24 says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift his soul up to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will see blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. The purity this beatitude is calling for isn't outwardly. It isn't to put on a wardrobe and dress a certain way at church. It's calling us to look at the center of our being. So what I want us to look at this morning is how can we pursue after this pure heart? How can we seek to achieve it? And then understand what Jesus means when we have this pure heart that we shall see God. The first step with a pure heart begins with a simplification of life. Two months ago, I felt life was really good. I felt like I was in a really good spot Uh, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. uh, I felt good physically. And so what was going on two months ago? Well, we were on vacation. And so that's always nice because there's no schedule, no plans. But even leading up to that, you know, the start of this year, just starting to feel better and to pursue after God. And, and, and by summer break, I was feeling really good. You know, our, our family during summer break, our schedules are pretty wide open. Um, we we kind of just go with the flow. I would come to work. Jamie and the kids would hang out at the house. They would do little activities. Jamie had some crafty to-do things she wanted to do, and she could do it at a very easy pace. You know, we'd go swimming sometimes. We'd go for a hike. We'd go for a walk in the evenings or in the mornings. We would go to Springfield if we wanted to, not because we had to. Ethan would wake up in the morning and go for a run at a reasonable time, you know, before it got too hot. Abby would do something crafty or something with baking because she found joy in that. You know, we played worship music in the house, It was just a joyous time because we were at such an easy pace. And then what happened? School came. And when school came... Cross-country started for Ethan. Band started for Ethan. Abby started realizing summer is over, and so I want to cram as much stuff that I'd get to do in the summer into these these weekends that we had. At church, we started filling up the calendar. Ministries started happening, and we started preparing for ministries that were going to kick back up. The church calendar began to fill. Our family calendar began to fill. The kids' calendars began to fill with school activities. Jamie started putting things on her calendar for conferences and school things she was going to have to do, and so life got busy. And I won't speak for my family at this particular moment. I will later because I like talking about my, my family. But I know when it came to my life, when life got busy and life got crazy and hectic, some things that I was doing well and was deeming as important got put on the back burner. In our family, what we do every two weeks, we, we talk and we put together a menu, what we're going to have for dinner, and since I'm the cook, I typically say, okay, th- does this sound good, does this sound good, and, and then I'll put it together, and I noticed during this time period, we started putting at least once a week, where we are going to eat out, and sometimes that once a week became two, three times a week, we were going to eat out, and pizza was added in there, and sometimes it wasn't even ordered pizza, it was just, let's just do some frozen pizza and do it as quick and it's easy. Beginning of 2021, I started working out, and when I got to May, I started feeling good. I started seeing some results, and and then I saw craziness happen, and that got put on the back burner, and and life got complicated. It may shock you, but um, I was doing a Bible reading plan. I'd finished reading the entire Bible by the month of May this last year, and then I started it up again. I went back to Genesis. I'm going to start reading again, and then school happened, and and my confession is it kind of got hit and miss. Even the pastor messes up his Bible reading plans. (laughs) But life was crazy. And I don't know if if being tired was an emotion, but that's all I felt. I just felt drained. I felt like we had to be here and we had to be there. I actually was was praising this last Wednesday because this last Wednesday was one of the first school days where I didn't have to wake up and get Ethan somewhere. And I actually could sit down and have a cup of coffee instead of putting it in a cup as I go out the door. Jamie and I joked that It seemed like vacation never happened, that it was just a dream. There was nothing wrong with being involved and having activities, but here's the thing, here's the question. When does it become more than what God intended? When do we become worshipers of being busy and worshipers of doing things instead of worshipers of the one true God and adhering to the command that God has given us to take a Sabbath? The Bible commands us to work. Okay that's one of the purposes God gave us. He gave work a purpose in creation before sin even came. God also tells us that we should enjoy this life he has created and we should live it abundantly. But in the midst of working and enjoying life, there's also this command in scripture that still holds that we are commanded to rest. We are commanded to take a sabbath. When I was in youth ministry, I mean, it's just crazy. And it, you, you feel like you got to be at every event the students have going on. And it impacts your family. It impacts your marriage. And so I came across this book called What Matters Most. And the subtitle of the book is Learn to Say No. And it's not a dare, like, drug book. It's Learn to Say No, that you don't have to be everywhere. You don't have to do everything because you can't give 100% of yourself to everyone and everything so you have to simplify. In the book of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon did this little, his own little lab test. He started checking out all the things that the world could offer, all the things he could do with his time and the fill his time, and over and over again, it's like, ah, oh, it's just meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. And after he did his little lab test on himself, he comes to this conclusion in chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. That's pretty simple. What should I do? Where should I be? What should I be doing? Fear God. Have reverence for God. Be in awe of who God is. Love God. That's what the word fear also captures. And be obedient to God. Keep His commandments. As people, we are not God. You cannot be everywhere. And you cannot be everything or do everything. So that means, as people, we need to simplify life and start looking at our calendars and say, there are some things that just don't need to happen. And there are some things it's OK if I delete from my calendar and delete from my to-do list. And here's the reason we should do this. Because if you try to run, 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 you're going to run yourself ragged. And the point is it's going to begin to impact not only you and your health individually. It's going to impact your relationships. It's going to impact your family. It's going to impact your marriages. It's going to impact your finances. It's going to impact your desire to be involved in the ministry of the church and the ministry of the kingdom. And the problem with being busy is it leads to us being burnt out. We just don't want to do anything. We just want to be done. We want to call it a day. We want to call it a week. We want to find our couch and we want to curl up. I want to tell you this. Do not feel guilty about getting away. Jesus got away. Look in the Gospels. Jesus got away from the chaos. He got away from a crowd. Do not feel that it's selfish for you to take a nap. You know who else took naps? Jesus took naps. So be like Jesus. Tell your kids, hey, I'm going to go be like Jesus for about an hour, hour and a half. Okay? But take care of yourself. And something I'm still learning is there are very few things in life we actually have to do. And it changes as you get older. You know, for me, I I have to do ministry. One, this is because this is what God has called me to do. As an adult, we have to go to work. So when I say simplify your life, I'm not telling you to quit your job. But you may need to look at your job and see how your job is impacting your heart. Is it impacting it in a good way that is keeping it pure and clean or is it impacting it in a bad way where you're having sinful thoughts towards people and and businesses and companies and so you may need to take a real close look. Okay, this job takes a lot of my, my time. I have to do it but I don't necessarily have to be here because the way it's impacting my heart is keeping it from being pure. As a husband, I love my wife and I love being able to show her that I love her. But here's the thing. When I get busy and things get chaotic, I show Jamie how I love her in the way that I understand, not necessarily the way she understands. And so I don't speak her love language. And so I do that because when we're busy, it's easier to kind of just let something slide and do what we're most comfortable with. And it's not pure for her. It's not clean. It's not a committed thing for her. As a parent, our kids are busy. And if your kids are busy, you know what I'm saying? They're, just, they're going all over the place. And I'm, I'm fine with my kids being involved in activities. But sometimes we just say, no, we're not going to do that. We're, we're, we're not going to run ourselves all over the state of Missouri just so you can be involved in something. And, and they don't always like it, but sometimes we have to be the parent. And say this isn't going to be good. You know we've had a big week, we've had a big day, so we're just going to stop. And with my kids' activities and they getting involved more and more things, one thing I have to do, I have to give up of my time. And Jamie has to give up of her time. But one thing about giving up of our time as parents, here's the thing you've got to do: you've got to be selfish sometimes, and you've got to take time for yourself. You've got to take time to get into God's word. You've got to take time to take care of your body. You've got to take time to just sit and rest. Because I found personally in my life, when I become grumpy, when I become discontented with life, even if nothing is going on, it's because I'm just going and going and going, and I'm not taking time to be with my father. And there might not be anything wrong, but there will be moments that Jamie kind of calls me back to reality. He's like, what is wrong with you? Because I'm not taking time for me, which impacts our relationship, our marriage. It impacts how I can be as a father. It begins to consume my heart, which means my heart's not pure. It's not clean. We can't do everything that people want us to put on our schedule. So we have to simplify so we can keep our heart pure. I want to simplify my heart. And one thing the Bible teaches about simplifying a heart, it begins with a single focus. Anybody here a multitasker? You're not going to like what I'm going to say if you are. I'm a multitasker at times. Um, It just there's a lot of stuff to do. You know we live in the age of multitasking. Some of y'all are multitasking in this very moment, right? You uh, you're listening to a sermon, and you got your phone out, hoping everyone thinks you're on the Bible app, but you're doing something else, right? You're liking a post or texting someone or checking the weather. And, and, and I understand multitasking. We like to be, you know, there's times I'll have the TV on, but I'll be doing something else. Okay. Multitasking is a really nice way to say you're doing something, but you're not doing it to the best of your ability. And so we may be doing some things accomplished, but we're not getting what we need to get accomplished because we're not fully focused on what we're claiming that we're doing. And daughter Abby, she has two incredible gifts that I've learned so far. She has the ability to focus, and she has the ability to multitask. And it's amazing how this works. And what I mean by this, when Abby focuses on something, she did this from her papa, uh, Helms. When Abby focuses on something, her mind is stuck on it. That's all she thinks about. That's all she talks about. That's all she asks about. That's all she wants to do. And she's stuck. She's in that, that frame of mind. She is so focused. But then she also has the gift of multitasking. And that she'll be focused on a project and she'll be doing it whether it's crafting or baking and then she'll hear or see a squirrel and she'll start going off to another, pre- another project. And what happens is the project she started on is left here in a mess and so she hears it from Mommy and Daddy like, you got to go clean your room. you got to clean up your desk. you got stuff everywhere. And But she's off doing this other thing because she's trying to multitask. She's trying to get everything done at once. And I'm not trying to pick on her. I love you like crazy. I, I'm so excited to see the tween that God is creating you to be. But it gives us an illustration. When our attention isn't focused, when it becomes divided, that means we don't have a pure heart. And it also means that we're going to leave a mess behind us, which isn't clean. And therefore, it can't be pure. So how do we have a single focus? Well, the Bible tells us what to focus on. Here it is. Matthew 6, But seek first... The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. God is telling us. That if we would focus on His kingdom, His rule, His reign, His authority, His holiness, His sovereignty, and we would focus on God's righteousness, the righteousness He has, the righteousness He has given us, the righteousness that we are now found in Christ, then all of the things that can grab our attention, all of the things that can fill our schedule, all those things will come into focus and they will be taken care of. They will work themselves out. If we would focus singularly on God's kingdom and His righteousness, we put that first instead of focusing on the rat race of our calendar. And the way I've seen this in my own life as a pastor, you know, my week, people always say, what does a pastor do? I mean, I know you work on Sunday for a couple hours and maybe Wednesday night. So let me just enlighten you what a pastor typically does. At least I hope most pastors do. I spend the bulk of my week reading. I read commentaries. I read books. I read devotionals. I read articles. I do a lot of study, a lot of prep. I I read hundreds of pages between Monday and Tuesday for the sake of being able to preach on Sunday and Wednesday. So when you think I've gone long, be thankful because it could have been a lot longer. Because as I'm taking notes and I'm jotting down ideas, I'm, I'm, I'm spending all this time gathering information, hearing what God is speaking, spending time in the text to prepare for a sermon. And when I finally have got the sermon or lesson together, I then take a whole day to begin editing it down because there's a word count thing on my Word document thing. And I know where it should be or this is going to be really long. And so I'll tell Jamie, well, it's like, you know, twice as long as it should be. And so that is a hard part because I have to pray and think about, okay, what actually doesn't belong here? doesn't need to be said here. Or maybe we can use it in a different time of the year or a different sermon. And so I'll, I'll type it out. I'll edit it down. And then I know you don't want to be here till 3 o'clock, so I'll edit down even more. And so a bulk of my week is studying, taking notes, looking for illustrations, thinking about illustrations, thinking how this is personal in my life. And it may sound like, wow, man, to be a pastor, that all you, you get paid to seek God's kingdom and seek God's righteousness. But here's the reality. That's not actually what's happening. I'm trying to make a deadline that is set. You all are expecting to be taught on Wednesday or a sermon to preach on Sunday. And so I'm not seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness so much as I'm looking at that deadline and know that I've got to get something done. I've got to know what God wants to be presented here and get that forward. And so what I found personally and throughout my ministry, when I lose focus on my own personal time with God and my own personal studying of God's Word and my own time to be in His presence, not for the sake of teaching or preaching, the lessons and the sermons take more time and they're harder to develop than if I was in God's presence personally and I was praying to God. I have found that the more time I take To be with God in His Word in prayer, the better and easier sermons come together. But how does that relate to you? Because you're not you're not planning to preach next week, that I know of. anybody? Okay, all right, fine. Um, Well, you have places to be, right? You have things to do. Your work requires you to do certain things. Your relationships require things of you. You have deadlines to keep as well. You have schedules. Everyone here, in some way, whatever arena you find yourself in life, is being pulled in multiple directions, which means your attention has the temptation to be compromised, which means your heart isn't pure. And so what God says in His Word, that if we would start first with seeking Him and start first with seeking His righteousness, if we would make that our single focus, then all the things that have to get done, all the things that get dropped on us, all the things that consume our time or we worry about, God promises us if we would start first with Him, then all these things will come into focus and they'll be taken care of better than we ever would have imagined. And it doesn't make sense. Just think about your week and how crazy and chaotic it was. It's kind of like with tithing. Sometimes we look at our budget and it's like, well, I don't have the money to tithe. But God says, you know, use my math, not your math. The same thing goes with, with our time. He says, let me budget your time. So you start with me and you're going to find out you actually have more time to do what you need to do and you're going to be more focused on what you need to do. So God says, stop. Be still. Be silent before me. Come before me, seek me first before you start seeking to get your things checked off that are on your calendar. So it begins with a single focus, so we have to simplify, but it also goes to a single allegiance. See, to be pure in heart is to be uncontaminated. To be pure in heart doesn't mean we have good intentions, it doesn't mean that you have to be spotless from sin, it doesn't even mean you have pure motives. It is calling to a single allegiance to God and then everything we do or are a part of will flow out of that allegiance. God knows when our allegiance is divided between Him and what we think we've got to get done, there's going to be a ripple effect in our life, in every aspect. And here's the thing. You can go and read into the Old Testament. Look at the Israelites. When they got divided, When they got contaminated, when their heart was not pure, it had a ripple effect in everything they wanted to do. It impacted their jobs, their families, their marriages, their worship, their security, their attention, their worries. It impacted their time. It impacted their effort, and it impacted their problems. This is why God says you are to love the Lord your God With all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. This command is to align all that we are, all of our being, in allegiance to God. Because if our hearts are not in allegiance to God, as God's people, everything else that we've got to get done will be off. And we get frustrated. And we get tired. And we just want to tap out. J. Oswald Dyke wrote that the heart cannot be pure if, in its loyalty to the will of God, there makes some interested purpose of its own, or some secret homage to another Lord, or some restless wish to have the will of God other than it is. Christ demands the purity of our heart because when our hearts become compromised, it defiles everything we are, everything we do, and everything we want to accomplish. Joe Mann writes that the happiness happens to those who set their hearts on one program, bringing in the kingdom. And why does happiness find them? It finds them because they alone see God, that is, His presence in the now and His reign over the future. So what is the promise from Jesus when we simplify and focus and we have one allegiance? He says, when we do this and we have a pure heart, they shall see God Who doesn't want that? Do you want to see God working at your place of work? Do you want to see God working in your relationship or in your marriage? Do you want to see God working in your kids' lives, your grandkids' lives? You want to see God working over your finances? We're promised right here in Scripture that God will work in those things and we'll see Him working when we keep our heart from being contaminated from things of this world and try to pull our attention away from Him. We'll see God in the midst of the chaos. We'll experience God's presence and His peace, which Scripture says surpasses all understanding. We'll see God carrying us through those valleys into the life of abundance that He promises us. Charles Spurgeon wrote that foul hearts make dim eyes. To clear the eye, we must cleanse the heart. Only purity has any idea of God or any true vision of Him. To see God working means we have to take action to guard our hearts, as the Proverbs say. I mean, our schedules are squashing us, taking the breath and life right out of us. And we wonder, why do we feel this way? Why do we feel so tired? Why are we getting sick so much? William Barclay says that we only see what we're able to see. Which for us, if we're not purifying our hearts, means we're only able to see what's physically in front of us and what's on our to-do list and our schedule. And so we've got to start in the heart. You know, there's a, a worship song when I was in college that was really popular. It's called In the Secret. And the lyric was, In the secret, in the quiet place. In the stillness, you are there. In the secret, in the quiet hour, I wait only for you. I want to know you more. I want to know you. I want to see your face. I want to know you more. And God says that we can see him. And God is in the secret. He is in the quiet. He is in the stillness. But here's the thing: Do you know God is also in the crazy? He's in the chaotic, he's in the busy. And so the problem for us in not seeing God in the chaotic is we're not taking time to be with God in the quiet. And so when the chaotic and the busy comes, we can't discern God's voice. We can't see what God's doing because we're not able to, we haven't spent time in the quiet to know what God sounds like and what God looks like. And so it begins where our heart is, has to begin with Him Now, to Jesus' original audience, when he says they shall see God, they would have understood to see God is to be found in God's favor. And so this is the result of purifying the heart, is to see and be in the favor of God, to see God working, and to have a vision of where God is leading. The book of Hebrews tells us in chapter 12, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which entangles or clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is look, set before us, looking to Jesus, meaning that we can see Jesus and where He's going because He's the founder and perfecter of our faith. If we're having issues seeing God in your life, then the issue may be all the stuff in your life that is distracting you from seeing Him. And so you've got to simplify you need to purify and clean some things out and do the one thing that God tells us to do. Seek first my kingdom and seek my righteousness. There's one more thing about this beatitude we need to address. So in order for our hearts to see God, they have to be pure. While well, our hearts are plagued with sin, we're going to wrestle with the sinful nature our entire, side, our entire life on this side of eternity. So in order to begin to see God, You have to have God purify your heart, and that only comes by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So you've been here today. You've been hearing God's Word, His voice, from Scripture. And now God is inviting you to see how He's working in your life. God wants you to see Him. He wants you to be with Him. He wants you to be in a relationship. But you cannot be purified, you cannot be restored to God And thus you're found in salvation, which is only found in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died on a cross for your sins. He rose from the grave to forgive your sins. And He's calling us to accept Him as our Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of our sins and the gift of eternal life. And God purifies our heart before Him. So if you're here this morning you've yet to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible lays it out as a very simple step. First, you have to admit that you're a sinner. You fall short. You do things you're not proud of. And then in in realization that you are a sinner, you have to believe that God knows that already about you. He sent Jesus Christ to die for your sins, to take your punishment. He did, and then Jesus rose again to forgive your sins and to grant you eternal life. But that only comes by believing God loves you that much and then confessing to God that you are a sinner, you need Jesus, and you want eternal life. Because Jesus is now going to be your Lord and Savior. And if you've yet to make that commitment to God and accept God's gift to you, I'm going to invite you to come down here in a moment. You're going to be standing right here and you say, Pastor Mike, I, I want to be saved. I want God to purify my heart. But maybe you're here and you're thinking about all the stuff that's on your schedule, all the stuff you've got to do or you think you have to do. And God's making you have to make a hard decision to cut some of those things out because they're keeping you from seeking Him. It may even be a relationship. It may be a job. I don't know. And it's scary at those times when God calls us to step out in faith, but He promises He's going to go with us. So maybe you just need to come and kneel before the Father and ask Him to give you the strength, ask Him to help you to focus on Him and be only allegiant, aligned to Him. I don't know. This is a time of invitation. I'm going to ask Nick to come up and lead us. Bridget, I believe you're coming too. I'm going to pray for you. Pray for me. And uh, if you need to accept Jesus Christ, I'm going to invite you to come down. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us for taking care of us. Lord, you know there's been times that my heart's not been pure, it's been contaminated, it's been distracted. Lord, forgive me of my sins and my shortcomings. I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you for giving us this promise when we make the effort to keep our heart from being contaminated, that we will see you working. We will see you in the midst of this crazy life we live. And so Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, if you've laid something on their heart that they just need to, you know, drop or let go because it's contaminating their heart. Father, I pray that you would give them the strength as well. And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that does not know he's your Lord and Savior, I pray your Spirit would just come upon them, bring them to a place of conviction and repentance, and they would come and let it be known, confessing you as their Lord and Savior. Forgive us if we failed you in any way, and we pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.